Welcome to my office hours. I'm your host, Lisa Romig. What's that I hear? What's that coming out of the thicket? Is it a lamb? Is it a lion? It's both. Join me in my three-part series entitled Out of the Thicket, where I'm going to lay down the foundation for both characteristics, the lion and the lamb, found in our King and Savior, Jesus. I'm continuing on with my series, Out of the Thicket, and this is episode two. We're going to be continuing on with our understanding of the lamb in sacrifice. We've mentioned from the last episode that you have the lamb being used in individual offerings, burnt offerings, which is what you see with Isaac and Abraham. You see it in the nation of Israel, which is what you see at the tabernacle, which will go from the tent of meetings into when they establish a firm place, the temple in Jerusalem. You will see those sacrifices being done. And then we ended the episode with talking a little bit about Jesus being the sacrifice for the world. So you see a progression in scripture that I want to point out to you just so you can sit down and say, hmm, that's really interesting. Whenever God usually lays out something that is so important foundationally for us, there's usually a pattern or a flow of thought. So as we look at each of one of these instances in scripture, starting in the Old Testament, and now we're moving into the New Testament, I want you to understand that there's order. And that God has established these patterns so that you would understand him. He's not hiding from you. He desperately wants you to know him. So Jesus, most of us would say, is the sacrificial lamb. And now you have a better understanding of how he came to be the sacrificial lamb. I quoted Isaiah last time, just talking about how he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. I want to continue on with talking a little bit about Jesus and what he did on the cross. So Jesus came and he was on this earth. And as he moved towards the cross, which was his work that he was going to do while he was here, he went into Jerusalem the week of Passover. Some of that might be uh, unfamiliar to you, but that is when he went into Jerusalem. And as we continue reading in Mark 14, verse 12, we see it beginning with, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples, meaning Jesus' disciples, said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher said, where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there. Prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. So, Again, we're looking at patterns. We're looking at things in scripture as we're going through this. So we know that in this section, Jesus has told them what the man will look like that they will find and ask him about the upper room. And the disciples go and find that man and the room is prepared for them. Just so you understand, God has given them a direct prophecy and it has been fulfilled. Why would something like that seem so small in scripture? Um, why they put it in there? Why are we talking about directions? But part of it is, is so that the people who are with Jesus would understand these are tangible things that they are seeing in their lifetime come to pass so that when he starts talking about his second coming, which is going to be happening very quickly, they will know that that too will come to pass. So here we are. And he continues uh, with them, and he is eating with them and reclining with them. In verse 22, And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it and broken and gave to them, said to them, Take this, this is my body. 
And he took a cup, and when he had said, Give thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Just so we're aware, this is what most of us would call communion. And if you're a Christian, um, you partake of communion pretty regularly. Here the Lord is offering the bread, the wine, at Passover when they would have sacrificed the lamb. He said, this is my body. And then he uh, pours the wine and says, this is my blood that will be poured out as the new covenant. So as a Christian, we often say the cross is the start of Christianity. If we were doing a timeline, we would draw it and say this is the beginning of the age of the church, or we would say this is the age of the Gentile. You will hear all of those reference to that. What that means is, is that those that saw Jesus die on the cross and were resurrected are now part of a new covenant. And the new covenant is going to continue on until he returns, which is his second coming. So Jesus is seen at this moment as the lamb that is being ready to be sacrificed. That is why we see in Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. Now, I want you to just stop and think about God himself in human form, being Jesus, down on earth, had the power and the capability to do many things, yet he chose to be sacrificed as the one and only sacrifice for the sins of the world. He himself took on human form, was laid out just as a lamb on an altar, his blood being poured out to stop the wrath of God. Now, I want you to just kind of have that imagery in your head. His blood is what atones for our sins. It is his blood that we claim over our lives. It is that door that we talk about whenever we talk about the Passover and the plague that we are discussing. It is his blood that covers us and keeps the avenging angel or God's wrath from entering into our life and at our death. So Jesus is a sacrifice. He fully understands what's happening. He is willing to go. And just like Isaac, he went willingly. He went to the cross knowing exactly what would happen. So a lot of people read the scriptures and they don't come alive. Years ago, whenever the movie, The Passion of the Christ came out, for those of us who study scripture in that, some of it was so horrific, we had to stop and sob because until you see a human being completely broken and torn apart, it's hard for you to even imagine the the type of pain and agony someone must have been in. We know he was scarred without uh, scarred beyond recognitions. We know he was beaten. We know he was bloody. We know uh, just incredible amounts of pain and torture was given to him as he made his way to the cross. And again, he did this willingly, and he did it because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So again, God provided him so that he could make atonement for us. Now, what sort of power did Jesus have, just in case you're curious? In Matthew 26, verse 52, Jesus said, put your sword back into its place. He's talking to Peter. Peter had taken a sword um, and was going to draw it so that they wouldn't take Jesus away uh, for trial. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And this is Jesus speaking. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? 
just so you're well, 12 legions of angels, a legion is somewhere around 5,000 to 7,500. So 12 of those is quite a mass of angels. So he had the opportunity to appeal to his father. He chose not to. And in verse 54, we hear why. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? So knowing that scripture must be fulfilled, that we must be received the sacrifice, just as what you see with Abraham and Isaac, God providing on the mountain, what you see with the nation of Israel as they go into the temple and they sacrifice animals so that they will atone for the sins, you see Jesus stepping in and being the lion and the lamb, specifically the lamb here, as he is sacrificed and his blood is poured out for the world. Jesus allowed himself to be sacrificed. And yet in this we see, because they call him a sheep, was the embodiment of meekness or humbleness. God favors the humble or meek to inherit the land and to be blessed, and God gives help and grace to the afflicted for those that the world sees as weak. A humble spirit is of great value, and God will give, will give the justice to the poor and to those who are meek. Now, in case you're curious what meekness is, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that. It is God's strength and power under control. Do not make the mistake that Jesus was powerless. He was completely powerful, but he chose to be meek and humble and do his father's will at the cross. And it was that power under control that we see as he goes to the cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, for our sake... So why was he sacrificed? For our sake. And then we know um, a few things that are pointed out here. God made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He was made sin. Jesus was made sin who knew no sin that he might become the righteousness of God. When we often talk about uh, sin, we'll talk about a blemish. We'll talk about a stain. So I want to go back to pouring this back in or connecting this back into what uh, the temple worship, tabernacle worship was doing. And so I'm going to go back to Leviticus 1 and read this to you. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from your flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish, he shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of the meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So we see that in picking out an animal from the herd, they were supposed to pick up one without stain or without blemish. And again, when we're reading these scriptures, you will see in 2 Corinthians 5.1, for our sake, he made him to be sin. He maimed him to be blemish, who had no blemish. So Jesus is the fulfillment of what you're seeing here in Leviticus as well. And he made him to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Continuing on, I'm going to jump into Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, talking about Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
And again, just to point out, when Jesus went to be sacrificed, he was fulfilling what God had set in motion from the beginning of the world. And if you read in Hebrews, you will also see that whenever they were doing the tabernacle or temple worship that was pointed out into the Old Testament, they were doing this as a pattern of something to come. And if you drop into Hebrews 9, verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, that would be the tent of meeting tabernacle temple, this one is not made with hands, that is not of this creation. For me to paraphrase for you, it is made by God himself. Jesus entered once and for all into the holy place, not by the means of a blood of goats and calves, but means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a hefter would sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Just so you can wrap your head around this whole thought process, Jesus, when he went to the cross, and was sacrificed like a lamb that was being led into the altar of the tent of meeting. His blood was poured out for all. He atoned for the sins of the world. It is a sacrifice that was accepted. And so his blood is so much greater than anything the bloods, goats, lambs could have ever accomplished. The blood of God, the blood of Jesus is what we need to cover our sins. And it is what um, we paint on our doors or what as Christians, when we proclaim him, we seal upon ourselves with the Holy Spirit, which makes us his and which makes the Lord pass over with his wrath. Now, jumping forward to Revelations 5, Revelation 5, I'm sorry, we're going to continue on with the understanding of the Lamb. So John the Baptist declared the Lord thy God. Um, he declared him um, the Passover Lamb when he saw him and said, behold, the Lamb of God. So we have that proclamation being made from John the Baptist. And so what we see in Revelation 5-2 is we see John, who is who wrote the um, Revelation, we see him during his vision and as he's writing this out, uh, describing a scene for us that is in heaven, much like what we were talking about just a few minutes ago about how Jesus um, himself is the sacrifice for something more in heaven, not made by human hands, but made by God himself. This is kind of what we're seeing play out in Revelation 5 two. So this is John. And I saw, being John, a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll to look upon it. And John began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David had conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent unto all the earth. And he went and took the scrolls from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. If you did not know where your prayers went, that's where they are. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open to the seals. 
For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and elders' voice and many angels, numbering myreds and myreds of thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the sea and in the sea and all of them saying, this should be very familiar to something um, that I was just reading to you uh, earlier from one of the other scriptures. This should seem very familiar to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So again, we're seeing Jesus is the lamb. We like the characteristics of the lamb. The lamb is a servant. The lamb is obedient. The lamb is meek. The lamb does not utter his mouth. He comes to do what the Lord God himself asked him to do. And so we like that thought process. We like to think of Jesus as the lamb. However, Jesus is also the lion. And I want to make sure that uh, we definitely have an understanding of him being also the lion, not just the lamb. I'm going to take us now to the Old Testament. I'm going to jump back to Daniel 2. Some of you may have never studied Daniel. I just got done teaching Daniel, so it's pretty fresh in my mind. But in Daniel 2, we see Daniel interpreting a dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, the Babylonians had come in and conquered Israel, and so the, he had taken many of them captive. So Daniel is one of many Israelites that have been taken captive and now reside in Babylon. And he is given an interpretation of a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw a statue. And on the statue, he saw a head of gold. He saw the arms and uh, the shoulders. He saw the belly. He saw the thighs and he saw the feet, much like a man. And what we see as we go through these, we see that each of these kingdoms that is described is a kingdom that is going to come on earth. Now, these kingdoms describe the four different kingdoms that will come after the Israelites leave their land or are taken off the land by God. So in God's judgment, we see these four kingdoms or the Gentiles judging Israel. I want to just uh, go ahead and tell you that the man's kingdoms or the statue is completely broken by a stone. And it says in there that it's a stone not cut by human hands. This should lead you back to what we were just talking about in Hebrews when we were talking about that there was a perfect tent in heaven not made with human hands. So when we talk about these things, these are what was laid out as a pattern on earth for us to see. So the statue was a pattern for us to see. But the stone that will crush it is not human. It's not of this creation. It is something that was more divine, that is by God's supernatural ability. And we know by studying through scripture that that stone is the coming of Jesus and the coming of his kingdom. His st the stone will crush uh, the statue and it will that kingdom will reign forever and ever. We also see with the temple and the tent and in Hebrews, that this form of worship that was set out in the Old Testament, it was actually a design or a pattern of something, a shadow of something in heaven. So what we see again are these patterns being laid out on earth and these imageries for us to understand the fullness and the glory of who our God is. And so 
our God and King is not just a lamb that it was sacrificed, but he is also the king to come. And that is the end of the Christian era. That is the end of the time frame when we will see him in his full glory. And I want you to understand a lot of the times today in our culture, we act a lot like Jesus is just the lamb. And we look at him very passively. And I want you to understand that your God and king is king and savior. He was the lamb, but he is coming back as the king And that is what we will discuss in the next episode. Remember, your worth and value were given to you at the cross. You were worth dying for, and you're definitely worth fighting for. Join with me next time as we continue to dig deeper into the life we have with King Jesus.